Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and we are in the midst of a season on transforming worship. And we've been journeying with Rory Nolan and his book, Transforming Worship. He's not with us today, but he will be concluding the season with me in the next episode. But we do have a very fulsome group, the group that we had last time. We have David Bailey, who is a cultural anthropologist and theologian and really represents reconciliation and reconciling communities. That's his passion. We have Leo Ayala, who is in a Puerto Rican Latino context and has been a pastor there. And then we have Charity, who's on staff here with us in the Transforming Center. But she's got many things she could share. But in this podcast episode, she's sharing and representing the perspective of some of the younger generation who have young children who are trying to raise their children in church in a very complicated time and really representing what some of the younger folks might be looking for in worship as well. I'll probably be doing a little bit of representing gender diversity as well. That will come out also. So welcome back, friends. It's so good to be in this conversation again. We concluded our last episode, well, the whole episode was on worship on earth as it is in heaven, and we read a passage from Revelation that strongly indicates that transforming worship, worship in heaven, is worship that has a diverse community. And so we're naming diversity as one of those aspects and elements of transforming worship that's really important. And last time we got some of the issues out, and this time we want to get onto the idea side of things and talk a little bit about how each of these groups represented here, how we can find diversity for those groups within our communities and cultivate that in ways that are authentic, We really want to be authentic with this, but it is something that can be cultivated, and it means we're going to have to listen to each other, and that's what I want us to do in this episode today is do some deeper listening to each person that's on the podcast today and listen to what it is that the aspect of diversity that they represent, what what it has to say to us, and maybe even start with the direct question of if you could speak to your worship leader or your pastor about diversity coming from your setting, what would you say to them? I just want us to go around the circle and talk about that. And so maybe I thought we could start with Leo today and see what you might say to a pastor or a leader who's trying to bring this about in their own setting and what would mean a lot to you. Great to be here with you, Ruth, and with our friends. As I was saying backstage, I, I come from a Puerto Rican Latino church and community, and I also serve as a children pastor for more than 15 years. And it was interesting because we gather every Sunday in this beautiful ambience and idea that we want to worship together. But at the same time, even coming, all of us right here as a Florida to the same congregation, to the same experience of worship, it was easy just to get here and try to sing and praise the Lord without having a real connection because I don't know who you are. I don't know your story. I don't know your background. And and for me, working with children ministry, and I have to confess this, I remember being a children pastor and there were some kids that their behavior was the worst every Sunday. And I just want to worship with them, but they don't let me focus. And uh, and I was their pastor. I, I felt I felt like the worst pastor. And I remember thinking and praying, Lord, maybe this is the time that this kid and his family need to go to another <laughs> place to worship. And, 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 and I was praying. And then one day I stopped with one of the kids and I remember talking with his mom and, and I just want to know their story. 
and that breaks my heart but because it was the first time that i really hear the story of the kid the divorce the parents being bullied and all those things and that start changing our worship mm -hmm. experience me as a children pastor and also with his kid but what changed it wasn't that the kid changed their behavior actually it was that i know who you are i know your story and the, then then we have this beautiful connection and then we start worshiping together from uh, the beautiful center that it's, it was love i mean you are beloved i am beloved let's just watch from the worship from there so that's that in a way i will say that <laughs> to any to any person it's easier to try to jump in together worship together and take care of the program of what we're going to do together. But at the same time, I think there's a kind of tension there of what we do every Sunday, jumping, let's worship together. And then at the same time, mm. who you are, what your story? I mean, and that's one of the things that I celebrate in the Transforming Center and the experience of retreat. I mean, we are from different backgrounds. We are there together, but we love each other. We know there was struggle. We talk. We know some part of our, of our, of our mm -hmm. history, right? Yeah. I love your phrase about we take care of the program, but we don't know each other's stories. I mean, that just that just seems like a no-brainer, but it really is important because that is what we do in church leadership, right, is we take care of the program. <laughs> and we defend that. And, and, and I think that uh, part of what we wanted to do is let's just sit together. And, and if I know your story, I can't see you the mm. same. And, and, and the next time that we're going to pray together and or, or even to read a Bible text together, I know how this could connect with your story, with your background. And of course, I love you. I mean, I just, I, I want the best for you. So that's, that, I think that could be powerful. Well, it's so interesting what you're saying, Leo, because there's a lot of people who have been comparing AA meetings to the new church. And so much of that is because I think that that's what people do, is that they gather and mm -hmm. they... Mm -hmm. They come in all of their imperfection and all of their need and all of their longing and they sit with each other and they learn who each other are and what the struggles are and they learn to love themselves through, through loving other people. And it just becomes this beautiful space that sometimes we wish church could be. And maybe if we weren't, as you said, so focused on the program and created more space for just the realness of people to gather and to worship just as themselves, that we would experience more of that. Yeah, you know, I know for me, like some of my most, you know, I would say authentic, real, sanctifying, spirit-filled times that I've experienced in a worship space has been in like 12 steps AA spaces. And, you know, I, I find like in, in worship spaces with people like me who wear bow ties, mm. you know, it takes a little time for us to, to, to get down to the realness and the funkiness of our humanity. And I see in a lot of the like kind of AA 12 steps and or even places where people just have, have dealt with addictions that that they just have had to own some of the just their dependency you know on God and, and, and not only just on God in the abstract but God in the very real nature but then also God's people like in the community I think in ways that is some of the the most deep experiences of church that I've I've, ex I've experienced I've, I've experienced in other places but it, I feel like it just takes a lot of shedding to get to that that point in place, you know, I, I think a way of saying it is is that if I've ever experienced transforming worship, it's been in those, some of those spaces. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I, I think one one of the things that I would even as, as we talk about diversity, I, I would even love to, particularly the the Christian leader, to sparse out and separate a diverse community and a reconciling community. 
You know, a diverse community is how we look. A reconciling community is how we think and act. Oh, it's a way amen. of being. Can, wait, can you say that one more time? Because I, because yes, one please. more time, because I just you got to say it one more time. Yes, please. We are overusing uh, the word diversity so much, and so I'm so grateful for this because it's true. It's not what we're even looking for. Yeah, like a diverse community is uh, how we look. A reconciled community is how we think and how we act. And, and I would say, you know, I'm sparsing and getting like really nuanced. And and we are want we want to have a foretaste of heaven. So I'm all about that. I mean, that's what Arabah means. It means a foretaste of things to come. We're applied to the foretaste of the kingdom of God. And so Revelation seven and nine is part of that. And I would say, fifteen years ago when it got started into this, it was really out of that Revelation seven and nine. But now I kind of am, fifteen years later, I'm really rooting this in Revelation twenty one and twenty two. I love this text in Revelation twenty one and twenty two where it says then I saw a new heaven, a new earth for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling places. Now I'm amongst the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away. He who was sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And, and we even see this vision that in the midst of the city of God, you see the tree of life that is there, like those leads for the healing of the nations, right? And so that is where I think a reconciling community and it is is really going after and it includes diversity but but even many of us are in places and spaces right now where our cities are designed in ways to keep a certain level of homogeneity economically a certain level of homogeneity ethnically racially and sometimes even like age-wise and so these are things that it's important to say, I want to say, like, yes, there's a level of intentionality that we can engage in, but there's some things that might be a little bit difficult. And so I would love to to say, like, hey, if we think about what does it look like for us to be a, a community of peacemakers, to be a reconciling community, to be an agent of the embassy of, of the kingdom of God, what are some of the things that we need to be formed and how do we get formed into doing that and really pursue being a reconciling community as the goal and have diversity be the fruit with that framing in mind, I love to tell a story about a friend of mine who who's a pastor in Bend, Oregon. You know, he's about forty three, we're about the same age, and he's a white guy, he's a pastor, and intentionally because their their church is committed to being a reconciling community, but they're in Bend, Oregon. Oregon itself is intentionally a white state. Mm-hmm. After the Civil War, Oregon was designated to specifically be a white only state and there's a lot of like you know like white supremacy like a lot of kkk that was designed in the state itself i mean that's just a statement of fact so oregon being super white is intentional and then portland specifically is not only white because of the the state but but a lot of the gentrification of the black community that actually was there that actually eventually migrated to to that area has gone through a ton of 
gentrification and, and the moving and displacement of black folks like the way it is in, in many cities all around the country. And so when you look at Bend, Oregon, which Bend has actually gone through a, a period of gentrification currently that it used to be a mill town, not gentrification around racial lines, but really gentrification around economic lines. It has become one of they call those Zoom towns where you got a lot of Silicon Valley, particularly after the pandemic. They wanted to go to a nice and beautiful place. They went to, to Bend, Oregon. They priced out a ton of folks. And, you know, it's a very wealthy, beautiful place. And it's super white. It's going to be white for a really, really long time. And so he's pastoring within this context, asking the question, what does it look like to be a reconciling mm-hmm. community? And then he realizes that his own limits and his own poverty and their own poverty as a community. And so 10 Sundays out the month, a part of their budget, a part of their liturgical practices is that out of 10 Sundays out the month, they save the pulpit for somebody who's older, somebody who's like a woman to speak into their community and somebody who's a person of color and any combination of the above. They reserve a minimum of 10 Sundays a month to allow God to speak into uh their community from a different version of the image of God. And so I think those are some of the things, if you're in Malibu, California, or certain parts of uh, uh, Illinois, or whatever part of town that you're on, there are partnerships and there are uh, 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 relationships that you can kind of engage into to have some practical opportunity to help form your community to be more of a reconciling community and experience a fortitude of heaven through some of this diversity being speaking into your community, helping to shape your community. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm even thinking of, you know, the topic of this season is on transforming worship, which we could paraphrase to say worship that actually changes us somehow, you know, versus just going, yeah. you know, going and coming back and not having been changed. I think that's what we want to talk about here. And so we're talking about elements of what it looks like to actually be changed and to be a community that changes you by your participation in it. And changes us in some very particular ways. And so I I was riveted by, David, your use of the word sanctifying. I mean, that is an old-fashioned word. And I love that you used it. You talked about some of the most sanctifying times in worship. And, of course, sanctification is another word for transformation. So... I loved I, I love the fact that we're talking about worship that might change us by going, you know, <laughs> versus just yeah, yeah, yeah. something that is entertaining or inspiring or the thing you have to do to be a good Christian, you know. But you're like, well, no, I don't want to miss that because when I go, I, I get changed. And we all change together. The community is changed and impacted by who's invited in and all of that. So anyway. Well, it takes us back to what we were talking about before where we where Ruth, you were saying, you know, who we welcome and as David was saying what voices we elevate and Mm. invite Mm -hmm. to our pulpit Mm -hmm. and not necessarily for certain theological or political perspectives but just as a way of recognizing and investing in many different voices and so one of the things that I have been grateful for in the church that we're choosing to attend we have some of those issues David that you're talking about in terms of um, the ways that our cities are set so that diversity in our churches is not happening naturally Mm. it's not it's not happening because I mostly live in a neighborhood that is mostly white and that 
is a place of desolation for me. And yet there are still things that my church can be doing, as you're saying, to establish ourselves as a reconciling community, to to see the poverty that we are experiencing in our homogeneous experience. And so one of the things that I was just going to say that I've appreciated in bringing my children to our church is that there are, there's never a Sunday where there is not some sort of a worship song that's brought from a different culture. And not only is it in there and we're singing in different languages, but there's also a little bit of a description about where it came from, why it was written. And so my children and I are learning to sing these simple worship songs that that just point to a broader experience of faith, a broader community of faith. And so even though we don't necessarily have all of those different experiences represented in the room, that there is just even an opening to an understanding that this is far bigger than ourselves. And so one of the things that I was just going to say is that the simplicity of those songs, the ability to engage in those songs as a parent, to have your children in a larger worship experience that can be meaningful for both adults and children is one that I really appreciate. I really have valued the way that our church has looked to have the children in the service for a majority of the time or the beginning of the time, always have them in the room for communion to be not so production oriented, but to be inclusive in intergenerational involvement. There's lots of ways that families are invited to be a part of the service, that children are welcomed in the sanctuary. One of the things that I loved the most is one time my children were being so crazy and someone came up to me and were like and was like don't worry about it we want them to feel at home in the sanctuary we want them to run around we want Mm -hmm. them to feel comfortable here and so there was just a welcoming of children into the sacred space in all of their fullness and I'm grateful that they are there being exposed to the the voices that we invite into the church the things that are said and the songs that we sing and and all of that and so that has been something that has been important to me as a parent of young children Mm -hmm. is just some of those simple ways of creating a worship experience that just reminds all of us that there's more going on yeah I love that because I know that for those who don't have children, it's, it's an easier decision to say, well, I'm just not going to go. I'm just not going to participate. But then once you have children, then you're, you're really trying to figure out what am I going to do in terms of the spirituality of my children and, and how I cultivate that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, what I will say is that I've been in churches who have the best youth programs in the area. Mm-hmm. And that is not the church that we ended up at. <laughs> And there is a certain draw to that. But what I was realizing as my son, who's a preteen, what he most needed actually was an imperfect community, an imperfect experience of worship where normal people are, where not everybody sings really well, where nobody is really dressed up in all the right cool things, and that it was just a humble, imperfect, beautiful little community that we found. And I think that that's one of the things that I've been reflecting on is that imperfection is so welcoming. Mm -hmm. The highly produced perfect thing is not. And there's um, almost a relief in being a part of a community where you could be someone who sings up front, even if you're not good at singing, that you could be Mm -hmm. someone who's invited to tell your story, even if it's messy, that you could have your kids refuse to wear certain things and brush their hair and not one person gives it another look. Even the grumpiness, like there is just such a 
a come as you are mentality at our church that is so relieving to me. And I know that anyone who walks through that door would be welcome exactly how they came. And so when I think even beyond my children, that's the kind of community that I want to make sure that we are a part of, that it is beautifully imperfect because it, that means that it's welcoming and spacious enough for anyone. Uh, that's great, Cherry. I, I, while, I, while you're talking, I just remember my years as children pastor and how there are three things that the kids bring to church that we definitely need. I think it's vulnerability, transparency, and authenticity. Mm. And, then, and they just bring all of themselves. And I, we need the aspect of those generations in the, in the beauty of the church, which is intergenerational in the way that we worship together. Because it reminds you that beauty, simpleness, and, and there's something raw at the same time of that season of life. I remember talking to the kids. We, we have this beautiful program for you guys, and it's going to be fun. And we invest a lot of money. And there are some kids that they were like, but, but I don't care about the program. I just wanted to tell you <laughs> that my parents just tell, tell us this morning that they're going to divorce. Aww. And and they they just took my lesson and they destroyed my program. <laughs> and they just destroyed all the all the plan of the small group that we have that and the puppets were my puppets, you know, my music, <laughs> you know? And and at the same time they just push us to to be human again. They humanize the church. Mm-hmm. In, in, and the and the worship experience, as you were saying, I mean, it's imperfect. And that mm-hmm. reminds me that I can really come to this place and we can gather and I can bring my brokenness and, and just the way my, my parts, you know, my broken parts. And I'm going to be receiving. And not only that, my brokenness will connect to your brokenness. And then we can worship and sing from there and pray from there. That's, 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 that's so amazing. Yeah. I knew the stresses had a chance to really derail me from my own spiritual life, but it was because of this community that I actually, I think I was able to stay on track with my spiritual life with the practices. So I would say it was animal, just And I felt that very profoundly. And I felt this space is a space where my soul, who I really am, my true self can come out and can be safe and can be received and can be nourished. So what's blown and my mind is that like the greatest way I can show up before God is as a human. And I feel like I've always tried to be like an angel disguised as a human. <laughs> you know, like the whole idea of desires was selfish and not Christian. And what I'm seeing now is that like, that's how I show up as my most authentic self. And it's how I relate to other humans. It's how I actually show God's greatness and glory to other people. Like being able- And I guess when we are closing now, um, I'm thinking about, of course, the rule of life. What I'm gonna do with this with this deep desire of how to arrange your life to keep the journey. Uh, We'd like to take a break for a moment from our conversation and invite you to consider Transforming Community 20, which is now on the books beginning in April. And if you've been sitting here listening to this conversation about transforming worship and thinking, wow, I would really like to experience some of what they're talking about, TC20 is for you. We really do experience these things regularly and routinely on our retreats and in our Transforming Community context. And we would love to have you. So if you're interested in Transforming Community 20, go to transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. When you apply, you can use Podcast 20 as a code to take $50 off your application fee. And now, back to our conversation. 
one of the things that you know, I just I just love to speak to this whole thing about what is the role of the excellent artist within mm-hmm, that space, mm-hmm. where charity is speaking to something where we're allowed to be both human, but then we're also able to to do. I think one of the greatest apologetics for God is beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, and it takes a lot of time and excellence to do beauty. And I've had to really work on it and continue to have to work on this as a person that spent. I mean, at this point, I probably I mean, I stopped working professionally as a musician in 2016. And I started taking music really seriously at eight, really. So I would say a greater part of my life. I mean, I, I worked as a professional musician, started around 12 years old. And and I, so so there's a level of hearing. There's a level of like excellence that. It's just a part of who I am. And I struggle like crazy when people are off key, <laughs> when they are like the music is not great at church. And all they, like there's all kinds of things that I am Ruth being sanctified when that. Yes, that's, I see that. <laughs> yes, we, we hear your confession. <laughs> well, and David, it's so funny well, because that's how I feel if it's not strong teaching or if there's not the right kinds of spaces like if i'm if i'm in a service and i'm like oh we really Mm -hmm. should have more of this or that sermon felt more like a podcast episode everything in me is also you know just kind of struggling and i think that that is actually one of the benefits of me stepping away from church for a while is that the reason why i was drawn back in i got really clear on what was important to Mm -hmm. me about a worshiping community Mm -hmm. and some of these other things they they fell away. Some of the things that I was so used to in terms of a highly produced, really excellent experience that I witnessed became an actual human communal practice that I'm participating in. That's good. I mean, this. I feel like we can call this episode uh, Confessions of Professional Christians, mm-hmm. right? Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> 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 but like, like, like within this, you know, one of the things that I've kind of come to revelation on and is that the first embodiment of the Holy Spirit, of Holy Spirit, was two artists that were given, like vocational artists that were given the gift to not only like build a tabernacle for the sake and the beauty of the tabernacle, which was a beautiful thing and had a particular excess was a big deal, but Holy Spirit embodied in them. They had a dwelling Holy Spirit so that they could bring out the gifts of the whole community. And everybody who sold weren't professional sewing people. Like I'm pretty sure all the stitches weren't quite ready, you know, for like and all that type of thing, but it was really about the work of the people with the worship liturgy means and so you know part of what i see that whatever our gifts are like whether you know you're like charity where let's call charity like a professional liturgist and thinks about flow or or me as a professional musician or the preacher or the communicator or whatever those things that is a level of craft to there it's not only i mean it's 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 always like kind of like what Bach talks about like we we create the art for the glory of god but there's also a dynamic that we're doing that to, to out of service to bring out for the work of the people of the things that charity talked about of the beautiful things. So, so, you know, if it, if somebody really is making a truly joyful noise, it's not a bad thing to happen because that person feels at liberty within that space to bring the gift of who they are. And, and, and our artistic gifts, our excellence is in service to them, not, for the be like, hey, here's the perfect piece of art that I created 
for my glory, but I'm going to kind of humbly act like it's really for the God, you know, but it's really for truly the glory of God and for the work and the worship of the people that left of the people. And so that I just wanted to kind of like tie what you're saying, charity and those two, you know, those kind of, I think that's, that's, that's a, I don't want to even call it attention. I think that's the beauty of the body of Christ by having the excellence and the like messed up humanity, the imperfection of humanity. Well, yes. And don't you think that that ties directly to what we're talking about, about a diverse or reconciling community is that all in the same ways that we're talking about here, you have to pay attention to what gets riled up inside of yourself when somebody brings something that's different than what you're used to, or isn't something that you value as much as you value something else and, and learning to appreciate, to welcome, to include, and to really enter into different ways of worshiping that are beyond what you have known in your own life or what you would necessarily value and believing that there is something for you in that in whoever is a part of your community or that would be coming into your community that there would be a way to receive them that check gets in check whatever is getting stirred up inside of you at that time it feels like those those kinds of tensions or you're saying or or the beauty and the imperfection or the way that we that we kind of fumble around and find ourselves as community is important. Amen to that. Amen. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I want to make sure we hit on before we conclude our time on this topic of diversity is I do want to talk about gender just a little bit. And David, you alluded to it when you talked about the church where there was this intentionality around having 10 preaching services a year set aside for diverse voices to come in and that those voices were invited. And you mentioned women. I would like to think that that would be assumed that there would be diversity as it has to do with gender these days, but there are still communities where women are not fully represented and they're not in the pulpit. And I I remember even very, you know, recently within the last few years attending church with my own parents on Easter. So I just wanted to be with them in church. And the first thing that happened was that all the ushers filed down the aisle and they were all suits. And that just about ruined my Easter. (laughs) I'm like, I don't care about the resurrection right now because I'm telling you. (laughs) And then they all took their places in the big white wooden chairs up the, at the front. And, you know, when the, when the offering was taken, it was all meant, you know, like there was not any place for, and this is, this is a church that exists and does it this way even till today. And we have denominations who are still struggling with the issue of the ordination of women and whether or not women can function as elders, whether or not women can preach with authority, those kinds of things. And so I, I think it's still a really important topic, and from the stand, I want to stay focused on transformation because we're talking about transforming worship. I can say that moments like that are deforming for a, a woman or a girl to experience that. It's and for boys too to not see women in leadership, to not hear their voice, to not hear their stories, the unique way that that teaching comes through them is deforming for all children. And and it's not helpful to women either or men because then they can learn to dismiss the female voice and think it has no value. And on the other side, I'll share an experience of one time when I was preaching in a Presbyterian church. And it was a church that on paper believed in the equality of women and that women could do whatever the Lord gifted them to do. But they hadn't lived it out concretely. So it was a belief 
a, a theological belief that there was equality, but they weren't living it out. Because after I preached, there was a woman with her little girl who must have been about eight years old. And she was just, she was holding onto that little girl. And she came up to me and she said, this is the first time my little girl has gotten to hear a woman preach. And the little girls, her eyes were huge. Like she was for the first time seeing what she could do and what she could be. And the mother was weepy because she wanted so badly for her daughter to see that and hear that and be shaped by that. And it just, it made me realize once again how important representation of both genders are, is really, really important. And that we must be intentional about it. So in the Transforming Center from the very beginning, we just say there always has to be a male and a female liturgist, always. Uh, We don't care if we have to bring somebody up who's never done it before, but there will always be male and female liturgists. And we're looking for the balance in not only who's, you know, leading the liturgies, but who's reading scripture, who's offering musical gifts. I mean, all of those things that, that, that there's a real eye towards making sure that there's, even in what people see when they're with us, they're always going to see, not just believe it, but see equality between men and women in our community. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, I mean, for me, I mean, I grew up in a context where there were women who preached. It was my first time being a transforming sh- center where I experienced being shepherded by a, a woman and and a woman that's comfortable in her own body and, and, and intuition and spirit as a woman and not trying to prove something as a man. And I'm pretty sure in your journey, Ruth, in figuring all that mm-hmm. out, there probably was ebbs and flows, but I caught you at a time where you're just like, you know, for good or bad, Whatever the case is, like I what it is, take it or leave it. <laughs> it is cool. what it you know, is. And there was just nothing to prove. <laughs> it is what it is, you know. And I think that that was a gift, and it was interesting. I, and that did, you know, it was after it. And I was somebody asked me, well, what was so significant about Transforming Center for you? And I'm like, you know, and I talked about a few things. I said, like, you know what, this is my first time actually experienced being shepherded and led by a woman full through. And I got, you know, all kinds of friends in ministry who are women and 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 i work with women i mean like you know this is a thing so i I would say that is a gift you know i i would even back this up even a little bit more because you know some people and this is for me as a as in the work that i do i am always working with people across different theological agreements and disagreements and all types of things but i one thing i think that we all can say is like hey how, how do we like lean into the scriptures right and so even I think there's something very significant and you very unique about our sacred texts that there are at least two books of the Bible that are named that prioritize women and the story of women. So I think like even if you're a complementarian, if you believe in the whole counsel of God, if you are complementary by the scriptures, then actually preach those scriptures and prioritize scriptures about women like, you know, and then. There are a ton of images of God, like God, like there's biblical images of God that you should read, like God as a midwife, as a mother in labor, as a conceiving and nursing, God as a mother, the comforting mother, the mother bear, the mother eagle, the mother hen. I mean, even when you look at protection, oftentimes God, the protector is this mother bear, you know, like for, you don't want to be on the other side mm-hmm. of this type of God in that type of way. I mean, there are all of these different images that I actually think even within our text, we should speak with into those ways. And then there's there's even ways of text that even the gift of also having a woman 
who has embodied, like the way I've heard Ruth talk about Psalms 131 are in ways that I could never preach from 131 because that would never be my experience, mm-hmm. you know. And there are just things that, you know, I, I have thought about in the gift to be able to see God. I, I also encourage leaders, particularly male leaders, to read theology around uh, women. I mean, one of my favorite books that I've probably read in the last three years, period, and like it has been Theology of the Womb by Christine Bauman. That has just blown my mind. It's been really amazing mm-hmm. understanding God through the body of a woman. It's a really really great i mean there's a tons of like theology on and it's oftentimes called feminist theology or called womanist theology i hate to have hyphenated theology is it it, it is ways of people understanding Mm -hmm. who god is love it and and within that particular way and i would say even whatever you are whether you are quote quote egalitarian or complementarian if you're a biblical christian there's a lot of stuff about how women reflect the image of God. So learn about that. And and you got to be intentional about it because you can literally go your whole life and never spend any time studying that theology. So I, I at least try to do at least one feminine theological book a quarter, mm-hmm. you know, and I just would say at least that type of thing I would highly encourage you to do. Charity, you talked about um, being in a service and paying attention to the, pl- the place in you that gets riled up. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important practice for us as we participate in in our communities and in communities that have some diversity to pay attention and really reflect in God's presence on what the check is. Um, and I remember speaking, this was very recent, speaking somewhere to a group of pastors, and I used the prayer by Ted Loder, Holy One, there's something I wanted to tell you, which I use a lot in our transforming community. And Ted Loder's prayer in, in its original form ends the poem, ends the prayer poem by addressing God as father and mo- mother. Oh, father and mother in heaven, there is something I wanted to tell you. And usually I take out the word mother because I know of sensitivities among Christians. So sometimes I'll get brave and I'll pray it the way it's written. And I'll say, oh, father and mother in heaven. And in this particular group, I was told later by one of the organizers that I lost everyone at that point like I had poured myself out that whole speaking engagement and one of the organizers said you lost him when you prayed that prayer and talked about God as father and mother and I thought oh my goodness is this really where we are (laughs) that's heartbreaking (laughs) to your point David that that there's so much imagery around God as mother that and the mother hen and all of that how can we not embrace that and open up to it you know well, and unfortunately, there are lots of places where pastors and worship leaders can lose people these mm-hmm. days Yeah, with one word, one phrase, one metaphor, suggestion. And so I do think probably part of what needs to be cultivated for transforming worship is a place where people are willing to pay attention to resistance mm-hmm. and willing to pay attention to things that come up. And it is one of the places that there's a lot of work done in transforming community to help people learn what it means to stay in that place, to stay open to community, to be in a covenant community, to really routinely be using things like self-examination and solitude to mm-hmm. get to the bottom of what might be stirring up. And if Rory was on this call, I would tell him that one of the most transformative things that has been said to me that has changed the way that I go to church is the idea that so much about what we experience in a Sunday service mm-hmm. is about 
how we come in, yeah, what the we posture bring. Mm-hmm. and what we bring more than what we receive. And that to me, any time that I am feeling anything but gratitude for being in my community and in my worship service, now I have Rory's voice in my head <laughs> just being like, what is it that that is going on that's about you? That's not about what's happening here because mm-hmm. what's being happening what's happening here is something that you're being invited into with a community that you know and you love because of the stories that we've shared and the experiences that we've had and the imperfected the imperfection of beauty of all of us showing up. And so I do I have a posture of being open to that resistance and, and looking towards it. And unfortunately, I think it's something that we don't have in a lot of our contexts and needs to be cultivated. And so I think that that is something that's needed with our leadership, both for worship and pastoral reasons. And um, I'm hoping that it'll allow us to try some of these ideas. You know, we've heard lots of tangible things throughout the way, but I'll, I'll just say some of them again, just so that people can can remember them. I mean, David is encouraging you to invite in voices that are underrepresented and set aside the time, the mm-hmm. valuable time and space and the position of the pulpit, which is really yes, significant yes. and important to elevate and to make it important enough to hear words from the pulpit. Can I add what they get? I got a friend of mine who's a woman and she's, they ask, hey, what's your speaking fee? She was like, whatever you pay a male plus $600. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What does David Bailey get? Add 600 to that. (laughs) So, well, yeah, I mean, you got to be willing to, you got to be willing to invest in it the same way. Yes. I I just want to encourage people for like a practical thing, set aside resources for that and honor people because a lot of times women and or people of color, like she don't want to base it off of me because, you know, I'm not getting paid the same that the the white dudes are getting paid. (laughs) So like, so, 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 but, but like, seriously, like invest into that, honor the folks, like really give them some honor because they get so much dishonor in in their space. So like take that time and really just do that and like double down on Mm -hmm. that. That that could be a significant blessing. So keep on going. I just wanted to kind of add that. Well, and it's a a sacrifice to come and to be with in that way. It pulls that person away from their own community, you know, all of that. So yes, make sure that you are setting aside not only the time, but the resources to invite people into your pulpits, especially if you're in places that don't lend itself to diversity naturally. Leo really spoke to the importance of sharing story. And I just think Mm -hmm. that the way that story knits us together as a community and the love that it creates. I love when Leo talks about love because I've been in a room with him where love is overflowing between all the people. And it it only comes by the ways in which we share of ourselves and we are present to one another in the way that Christ would be present to us. And so to start there and then to enter into worship, I just think is a really, really tangible and wonderful practice. We talked about simplicity of worship that can include children. We talked about multi-generational engagement for the diversity of age and wisdom and people being invested in all ages and stages of our Christian life. And then we talked a little bit about the the holding space for imperfect beauty and like just kind of blow your mind beauty and talent Mm -hmm. and how does our how do our communities really invite what is natural and god-given within the context of the people that we are worshiping with and how do we how do we work within that together so that's just i mean some of the things that i've heard and it leaves me feeling like there always is something to Mm -hmm. be doing to open ourselves to making our community one that is welcoming to whatever would be diverse for us, whatever would be something that would push us towards a more beautiful reality of Christian community, the foretaste of heaven, as David would say. Yes, worship on earth as it is in heaven. 
I want to make sure that there's nothing left unsaid for the, you know, for the different categories of persons and experiences that we're each representing. Is there anything that still really does need to be said for this conversation to be sort of complete? I mean, this is such a, any one of these topics could take, you know, a whole season, but is there anything else? Charity did such a great job of summarizing where we've been so far, but I just want to make sure that each of us on this call, if you have something you'd want to say to pastors and leaders about their own desire and longing for diversity, how can they lead out? If you have something you want to say to the person in the pew who is longing for a more diverse experience but doesn't know how to find it, what would we perhaps say to leaders and congregants about this important topic as we close? Well, I'll say for me, the one thing that I haven't said is that as enticing as really amazing children's programs can be, really what I most Mm -hmm. want as a parent is a safe place where I know my kids are going to be loved. Mm And that, to me, is trumping a lot of the other things that have won the day, that right now I just want my kids to experience a faith community where they can show up as they are, and I know that they're loved and they're safe, and that has been invaluable to me. Mm-hmm. And how transforming for them. Very. Mm-hmm. We, that was part of why we came back to church, is because yeah. our little family is not enough. I really, really believe that they need a broader community, and so it, that is one of the realities that brought us back to a church community. I think I would say uh, the beauty of know your story and know your bias. When we think about integration and the beauty when we worship together, I have bias. That's the whole truth. I have my my history. I know Mm -hmm. who I am. And if I wanted to really take care of the congregation and the beauty, there's going to be a lot of stories together in the same place I remember one of the person in the church that I, I I still go, and one day he said in the opening worship time, in the uh, he said, just forget about your problems, forget about your situation. And I was like, no, I can't do that, because if, if that's invitation, it's an invitation to the false self. It's an invitation to fracture myself in the worship experience. So I will say just once again, I know my bias, know your bias, know know your, your struggles mm. and your history. We all have those things. And start from there before start to fix others. <laughs> Let's just mm. be vulnerable, transparent, and authentic with ourselves. Because I think that the spirit will lead us in that inner journey before start trying to see the, even or to process, understand, and to figure out the story of others. I would just really encourage, I mean, my grandmother has a saying, you can't come from where you've never been. And Ruth says the best thing you can bring to your leadership is your your transformed self, right? And, and so I, I would say try to find diverse voices in the, what you read and the relationships that you engage in to practice what you even desire before mm-hmm. it's even a thing. But then the thing I would also encourage you to understand as a leader, that just because you might have been on a journey, your people might Mm -hmm. have not been on that same journey that you've been on. And I think this is where leaders can mess up. So I think it's important to understand like how change management happens, Mm -hmm. that you might find rhythms and paths for your leadership team to get on that journey with you. And then ways for the kind of committed people in your, the inner circle within your church the folks, not the folks that just show up every day on Sunday. Like we try to do so much on the pulpit, but I actually like the folks that are like those really key volunteers, those people who even are passionate about this topic to find ways to kind of bring them along 
and to be in a space where they could be formed. And a lot of transformation happens from the inside out as you try to do this transformative worship, this transforming worship. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've been struck by in our conversation is number one, gratitude for, you know, those like you, David and Leo and <clears throat> Charity and Colleen and those that we have in our community who have, and Tina Harris, like who have been willing to be with us in the messiness. You know, that we know we're not perfect, but we know we want to be with you. Like, you know, we do. We want to be with you. We want you to be with us. And there's just so much love there. And so one of the things that I'm really struck by is just the importance, once again, of desire. You know, when it's what you really want deep inside, not for some strategic reason because it's the next cool thing to do, but it's what you really want because you know that it's the fullness of God's community. You also know that there are ways in which being part of a community that's more open in these ways will be transformative and you want transformation really badly to stay in touch with our desire and to let it be that organic. And so that's one of the things that I, I, I love to be in touch with that desire within me and with others and to make decisions out of the place of our own desire and longing. And it might seem strange to start that way, but that's, that's what I'm always trying to return to and, and touching into. And what it means is that I and we have gotten to be a part of some extraordinary worship experiences where the Holy Spirit has really blown the top off the room. And we've had a few of those even lately. And I want to say, you know, you don't want to miss that. So I say, show up, show up in worship where these kinds of things are being explored because you never know when the Holy Spirit is going to blow through the room and just blow the top off the whole place. And you don't want to just hear about that secondhand. Like you want to have been there. And I have gotten to be in some moments lately in the Transforming Center that will be with me for my whole life and that I'm still pondering what they mean and why they happened and how we can continue to move in that direction. And so this is a very exciting topic in that regard in terms of of, of our transformation. I, I felt like we had that experience at the last TC. Oh, we did. We did <laughs> Hallelujah, salvation and glory. And then it was... went into somebody did like what we did, the doxology, right? Mm-hmm. And did it in sign language? Yes, we did. And I didn't mm-hmm. even know that was coming. And mm-hmm. that was just... <laughs> it moved me. And I think about when Leo like did that prayer. We talked about that mm. in the last episode where Leo did the mm. prayer and just it meant something to Leo, but it meant a whole different thing to me. I mean, mm. it was just such a a rich, a very, very rich, rich experiment. And then and then on some precious Lord. I mean, it I was know. Just... Then you've got Kina who gave precious oh Lord, gosh. which couldn't be any more different than some of the other things that had gone on. And she held the moment like with her leadership. Yeah. She held the moment for us all. You yeah. know, she gave yeah. herself she, for that moment. She really did. I could just really cry about it. You know, it was just so beautiful. I felt like it was sacrificial. Mm-hmm. Like the, it was a, like a love yeah. sacrifice the way that she held the room that yeah. way. And for that long, she just. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this this is really fun, y'all. It's just it's, it's like I mean, it's just so it's so I mean, it's difficult. It's messy. Mm-hmm. It's all the things that has just been said. And it's annoying at times. Like, mm-hmm. right. But it's like it, I think about it like covenant community right like whether it's a marriage like it's all Mm -hmm. the things it's painful it's but like when you kind of like stay at it for a while you see that the way the way god shows up and it's such a beautiful amazing Mm -hmm. and like fun there's a lot to enjoy Mm -hmm. like charity said what you kind of get what you put into it like Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of one of those things right i love that and it's 
I think one of the most exciting things is that it's surprising. Mm -hmm. I just think that we have continued to be surprised and you can't orchestrate it. You just have to receive it. And you, and the way that you receive it is by being open handed and seeing what God is going to bring through the people in the room. It's a Mm co-creation every time. And we get to be surprised by what the spirit Mm -hmm. does through God's people. Yes. Yes. Amen and hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Thank you all so much. And now, David, we thought we would conclude with you setting up a song from Urban Doxology. You've mentioned your own history in in worship leading. And I was wondering if you might set us up and then we could receive one of the songs from Urban Doxology as really the benediction for the subject. Well, you know, like Charity talked about, like the co-creation. I mean, many years ago, I just saw that a lot of the innovation of the church was really being market driven and being in an urban inner city under uh, economically under-resourced community. You know, we, we just couldn't keep on taking things from the suburban church context mm-hmm. and then contextualizing for the urban church context. And so got young people, 18 to 25 studying theology, justice, reconciliation over the summer. It was multi-class, multi-racial. We would write songs, study these topics and write songs instead of writing papers. So this was actually, wow, like 10 years ago, actually, this this particular story is 10 years ago. It was with Trayvon Martin, the summer with Trayvon Martin mm-hmm. trial was going on. The verdict came out on a Saturday. Uh, in our own community, we were dealing with certain kind of like uh, murders and we were kind of doing prayer visuals and really leaning into the practice of lament. Part of the co-creation was there were some people in this community that gave money to allow us to be able to have a songwriting internship. There were some people that would contribute at musical gifts or mentor or host in their homes. And it was kind of like that building together of the tabernacle. And so you had these, you know, uh, gifted musicians and theologians and preachers and liturgists that would be together. And on a Saturday night, the verdict comes out around the Trayvon Martin space and the verdict hit us in a really significant way. We were a really diverse church mm-hmm. in a way that, like, we even had, right, Republicans and Democrats in this church. We had folks that, like— Even um, that. Like, <laughs> 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 we, we, we had folks that, like, you know, all about the Second Amendment, you know, and just the, the, the ability to have access to guns, to do whatever the case may be. And then you had others who have been on the victim side of those situations. And so— <clears throat> When you walked in the church, the atmosphere was super heavy. It was very difficult. I was really glad I wasn't preaching that day because I literally just didn't know what were the words to share. I remember the brother that preached. He was great. It was good. But then we debuted this lament song that we're here called Purge Me. And after the sermon, the song is sung. Silence hushes over the room and then we just start crying together and that crying turned into wailing and that wailing turned into intercession and I remember my good friend Beth who started praying for Trayvon and his mother prayed for Trayvon's mother and she prayed as if it was her own her own son Mm. that was killed and it was her tears that Holy Spirit brought 
to my remembrance, every single time I was stopped by the police, searched for drugs and things, and I've never done drugs in my life. The only time I've even been around drugs was college-educated white people, and I left, you know, and, and and it was one of those things that God brought all of that back to my remembrance, and I received so much healing within that time and that space. Mm-hmm. And all of that came and was made possible from doing this reconciling community, transforming worship with all people from these different spaces, just bringing who they are, bringing their gifts. And so this is the song that was written out of that context. This is the song that God used to bring healing on so many fronts. And here at a time like that, where it was a national thing that was causing a lot of division, this was something that, a national thing that brought us together in a really unique and special spirit filled and sanctifying way. Purge me, won't you cleanse me? My deepest desire is for you. Lord, I'm hurting, and yet I'm yearning. Are you speaking clearly? I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you.
feet.